This is a circus. I have to say, I still like beer. Shut up and sit down. I drank beer with my friends. Sometimes I had too many beers. Had beers, have some beers. One beer, drink beer, drinks beer, drank beer, drinking beer. You've probably had beers, Senator. Each week, Ralph Club biggest contributor. You know, I got a weak stomach, whether it's with beer. I like you beer. For that. I like beer. I don't know if you, do. okay. you like beer, Senator. Or not. Um, what do you like to drink? Next one. Hanging out and having some beers with friends, which I gladly do, and which I fully embrace. You like Judge, have you... I don't know if it's boofed or boofed. How do you pronounce that? That refers to flatulence. We were 16. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit. I'm going to use that so often now. (laughs) (laughs) We're not even going to remember what that's about, I'm sure, in like two months. I just I want to listen to that over and over and over again. He sounds like fun. I want to hang out with him. Oh, yeah. He likes his beer. Yeah. Yeah. If I'll be able to get him on this podcast in a few weeks, too. you might have some free time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beer. Welcome back, guys. Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined, as always, by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, boys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Everybody's good? Everybody having a good time? I'm good. I'm drinking beer. Awesome. Like beer. Drinking beer. Everybody <laughs> loves beer. Beer's the greatest. Uh, before we get started, if you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. Uh, we are just Barstool Politics, I believe. The podcast itself you can find on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, definitely iTunes, which is where most of you guys are. So uh, review us through there, share us through there. Um, we always appreciate the support. Uh, and then, as always, because it's a regular part of the show now, we have partnered with uh, the awesome people over at Predict It, which is a real money political prediction market, basically a stock market for politics, where you can buy and sell shares uh, in future political events. So I'm assuming there's something on there for Lindsey Graham's presidential run in 2020. I haven't looked yet, <laughs> but uh, it should be forthcoming quite shortly and and the reviews for that have been fantastic our listeners who've been uh letting us know are enjoying it yes it's uh it's been a lot of fun yeah what's really great for our listeners is if you open an account with predict it uh and use our promo link uh you'll receive up to a 20 dollar match on your first deposit so if you open up a 20 dollar account uh predict it will match your deposit uh, of 20 dollars. so you will get 40 dollars to uh buy and sell shares on political events that's free money Nick. it's phenomenal i always love free money i am broke as shit <laughs> uh like i said just use the uh, promo link predictit.org slash promo slash barstool paul 2020 uh and get your free money so definitely check that out thank you predict it yes. you guys are awesome <laughs> Did I miss anything? No, that was good. Good intro, Nick. <laughs> I'm out of breath. <laughs> yes. Well, should we, should we just dive in? I don't want to, but it's, I suppose think, we have to. Yeah. Did anything happen this week? No, no it's been no, very it, quiet. It's, it's been a week, Phil. Definitely. <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. Yes. Not shaking in anger half a dozen times at some point. Oh. 
for whatever reason. So as contentious as Trump has been, I don't know if there's been an issue as painful and divisive for the country as the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing has been. The testimony from Professor Christine Blasey Ford and Judge Brett Kavanaugh last Thursday made for absolutely stunning viewing. Dr. Blasey Ford was incredibly compelling and moving in her morning testimony. Later in the day, Brett showed up and Brett was pissed. <laughs> so, Kavanaugh was angry, partisan, and even cried while reminiscing about lifting weights with his buddy Tobin in high school. And according to some, he was not DJ complete. and Squee. Squee. And some suggested he wasn't completely truthful in all of his explanations. I don't remember ever seeing anything like it. On Friday, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to move the nomination to the full Senate, but only after Jeff Flake engaged in some high drama by demanding an FBI investigation be held this week. And that brings us today. We, we don't, why don't we start with some re- reactions to the testimony of Ford and Kavanaugh, then we can talk about where it leaves us and whether there is a path forward that doesn't literally divi- tear the country apart. Phil, you've testified in front of the Senate multiple times. What was your reaction to all of this? <laughs> I've testified about my drinking habits in front of the <laughs> Senate. Right. Uh, uh, I, so, I mean, we we talked, you know, last Wednesday night, yeah. I, and we talked about what to expect, and I, I, it exceeded all. Of, it was I don't I don't know what I was expecting, but it was, um, I was I was riveted all day yeah. on Thursday. Yeah. I thought it was. I mean, it, what was clear as I watched it is that I was watching history, right? Like it feels like this is a significant moment, both for the Supreme Court and the political politics of it all, but also for, you know, in terms of the, you know, Me Too and women's rights and all sorts of other things. I I thought, I mean, so I, I mean, if we just jump into sort of reaction, yeah. I, I found her to be incredibly compelling. Like I thought she was, I, she was very, very believable. She was, I thought her testimony it, it was interesting to watch throughout the day as she was testifying. Even Fox News was yes. talking about how this is devastating for yeah. the Republicans. Right. She is convincing. She's heartfelt like it was it, it was different. It felt her testimony felt different than the Anita Hill testimony, you know, from from 91. Um, so, I, you know, I don't I couldn't help but be moved. It was moving. Like I she she clearly, you know, I, I she was just she was believable to me. And then the second half of the day, when when Brett Kavanaugh comes out, was sort of mind boggling. Yeah. Came out swinging. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. That was. Um, I mean, we can sort of get into all of this, yeah. but that was startling. To it was me. jarring. Um, yeah, it was, it was. But at the same time, it seems to have. I don't know if it worked or not. It worked I, for Republicans. Right? I think Republicans so. Yeah. Did, but, um, but we talk a lot on this podcast about how this is not normal, right? Some event that happens, this is not normal. That was not normal. His his <laughs> testimony was not normal. Just I, I'm not saying like you can you can have an opinion about whether you liked it or you agreed with him or you thought he was believable. Putting all of that aside, that was not normal. We've never seen a Supreme Court nominee take that tactic before. Yes. That a sort of aggressive, attacking, partisan approach to things, and that that's it. That's one. It's weird, but for me personally, it was deeply troublesome and problematic so 
it was you know the morning starting i think as, as you suggested with her testimony I, I can't remember if i was i think i was texting you phil i i thought it was possible that kavanaugh would just withdraw his nam- nomination i mean she mm-hmm. was so powerful and like you said it was the whole political universe was moved by this fox news as you said was coming out and saying this is devastating it, this could not be any worse for kavanaugh and trump and then in the afternoon things fund i mean it just shifted it was such an emotional day mm-hmm. i mean and nick you were live tweeting tweeting it all and and i, I was I, you were you the I, whole I, thing <laughs> your your tweets mimic that right i mean i yeah. think you were you found her testimony in the morning compelling too yeah absolutely i mean it was i i'm not sure you're not a sociopath if you think otherwise, <laughs> but it's I, I Lindsey Graham. Uh, well, sorry, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll about Lindsey Graham. Um, yeah, like it was. I, I I you know I was I was working at the same time I was watching this, and I just like I had to stop working. I was like, oh God, this is just uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it was, it was visceral, and it just kind of got you to the core. And you know there were elements of it which we already knew there are some holes in the story that we still don't have information on which you pick up on but the overall feeling of it was she was a credible witness who was telling her truth and it it seemed fairly reliable and she seemed like a good witness and was answering questions for the most part yeah um yeah, by the end of it, it was just, I, I don't know how they come back from this. It, it was hard to say that she was being some sort of political pawn, right? I mean, because it, right. it came across to me, at least, as very, very authentic. Not yeah. to say that others don't use her in political ways, right. but her own message felt authentic. And yep. like you said, she was speaking her truth. Right. At the same time, once that was done and uh, and Mr. Brett got up there, whoo, girl, was that. That was some good TV right there. Wow. Um, you can... Hmm. I, I understand completely why people would say it's a bad look. It's, it's, you certainly can't do that if you're expected to be a nonpartisan judge on the Supreme Court. <laughs> if, that, if those allegations were leveled against me, and, and I, you know, in you know, if I if I was innocent, and people were going after my family after that, I would be furious. Sure. And it, it, you know, you look at the evidence and some of the information that's come out after the hearings. You there, I, I mean, the whole thing is is partisan from the right and the left. But the people who are going after him, it was coming from the left. Um, I'm not sure it was the Clintons like he said it was, which was a little out of left field. But he hates the Clintons. I, I mean, if I was him, I would have been just as furious, and then I would have withdrawn my nomina- nomination and then told everybody to go fuck themselves and leave. But I just Mike, I, Mike drop Nick out. Yeah, that's it. But I, I mean, what really came out of this, at least for me, this was a breaking point for me in this whole kind of charade and and he was right to say it's a circus and Lindsey Graham was right to say that this is a farce and and a complete sham but not because of specifically what he was saying but because of how all of this is just playing out from the right and the left you can talk about how the Republicans should have vetted him and they're trying to push somebody through when they had the time to get another nominee and it's just not good politics and you're you know it's it's just horrible optics in general and then at the same time, you can easily see the partisan wrangling on the part of the Democrats who did hold this information until immediately before these hearings were supposed to begin, not caring about um, the anonymity or safety or security 
of the person who was making these allegations, at least from my perspective. And that I just it it's I, like I can't I can't take it anymore. I, I don't want any of them there anymore. The whole thing just needs to be purged, figuratively purged. It, it, it is a and I think there's there's just this intense anger on both sides now. I mean, it was a very emotional event. I think to to start with something you began with, which was his his anger. And I think I understand if he is innocent of this the, that that feeling. But Phil, you've you if you're up for the Supreme Court, you can't let that get yeah. to you in a way where you're angry. I guess or maybe you could be angry cuz Clarence Thomas was angry, but not in a in that to that degree and in that partisan way. That was yeah. stunning. I remember so I had I watched the beginning and then I had to go run run an errand and I was gone and you were texting me like well he's yelling and now he's crying and like that 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 contrast was really something to see yeah I mean I so I I I found I I believe her right I found her her story compelling but setting all of that aside right like regardless of whether you know if you even if you set all of that aside I've and there are a number of other people who have made this argument too including you know uh, uh, Ben Wittes who I, I have a lot of respect for that essentially his testimony was disqualifying and there's there's i mean i know that there's lots of pretense right we try we want to pretend that the supreme court is not political it's been political forever um we want to pretend that our justices are unbiased um and you know that's that they're they're biased but i i don't i still come back around to it, you can be pissed, you can be angry, but when you're a judge, you are you have to be willing to let, I mean, people are going to say things to you, right? They're right. going to critique you. They're going to say attacking things of you. And you can be pissed off, but you have to be able to at least provide sure. a pretense of, of um, why can't, why is my mind going blank? Of Obje- <laughs> umbrellas. Objectivity. Platypus. Objectivity, thank you. Objectivity. Um, so you have to be able to provide a pretense of objectivity. So I, I, you could be, I, if he had come out and said basically the same thing, this has been deeply harmful to my family. I'm angry at the way this has gone. I'm innocent. But hadn't been like in this crazy rage, I would have, I don't know. The, the crazy rage, but even more than that, beyond anything else, his partisan attacks to basically attack Democratic senators and say that this is a Democratic plot and that the Clintons are behind it and the Democrats just hate Republicans, I think that destroys any legitimacy that he will have on the court. You can't, if, if he made it to the court, every decision, everything that came up along partisan lines is going to be undermined by that attack. Like, Neil Gorsuch, right? Neil Gorsuch, I think he was the one who basically in his testimony said that he had never thought about Roe v. Wade. It's <laughs> bullshit. But like you 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 have to put forth this idea that I am an objective when the when the case comes before me, I will consider it on the legal merits and not that I have some vendetta against the Democrats. And and I think when he lashed out on their um the Clinton stuff, I, I, that in my mind in and of itself is like he, he can't if he's on the court, 
the legitimacy of the court is dramatically undermined. Or, or the perception of the right. I mean, whether it's true or not, and we could have a conversation about that. But the perception of the court will be that he is he is driven by a political motivation, which if I'm John Roberts, I am terrified about. I agree. Uh, you you mentioned uh, Ben Wittes and the piece that you sent Nick and I today, and I, I will say that might be the best thing I've read on the Kavanaugh nomination because Ben Wittes, uh, he writes for Lawfare, and this was a piece in The Atlantic, and he was somebody who supported uh, Kavanaugh based Sprint on with him. yes, uh, and, and his judicial philosophy. Said he's a great candidate, but as you said, he said what's disqualifying for him was the way in which he testified and would undermine the le- legitimacy of the court, which is a really interesting question. You know how how the court perseveres after this toxic process. It, it's important to recognize that the the you know the Senate has the power of the purse and the executive has all sorts of, you know, enforcement powers. The Supreme Court, the the, the legitimacy of the Supreme Court is totally based on faith yeah. in the Supreme Court, right? The people are willing to abide, the executive, the legislative, the average Americans are willing to abide by the decisions. And if you, you know, it, even when decisions in the past have been political or partisan there's still this belief that the that that they are even if i disagree with them they're the sort of arbiters of the of the legal system when you introduce this idea of partisanship that that one of the nine justices the tie-breaking justice on in his nomination speech led a had a rant about how democrats are out to get him you just i think you you dramatically undermine the ability of or the willingness of people to say hey i i you know the supreme court has said this i'll go along with it and i think when you start to undermine that the whole institution starts to fall apart do you think that i mean at this point after what we witnessed and what this whole process has done even prior to the hearing i i mean you did have democrats chuck schumer being principal among them saying I will not vote for this person before they knew anything about sure. him, regardless of what the situation is. And I hope that my Democratic colleagues will do the same thing. Like, that's a political vendetta as well. Like, you can talk about how he was instrumental in kind of this morphing and just this mutation of this process. But this is something that happened prior to him. I And I, I, I don't agree with what he did. But we're in a place now where I think regardless of who the nominee is, if it is someone of the opposing political party, this is going to get toxic almost immediately. But I I, I agree. But Gorsuch, right? I mean, so there was Gorsuch is certainly a conservative justice and it wasn't this ugly. No, I don't think so either. But I think it's not the same time period or same frame of reference that we have now, even in that short amount of time. I I wonder whether. Oh, go ahead, Phil. There's a difference between saying that uh, you know Kavanaugh is an originalist or has a you know conservative interpretation of the law and I disagree with that and so I don't want him on the court there's a difference between saying that having a, a disagreement about how to read the Constitution or how to interpret the Constitution or about interpretations of Roe v Wade there's a difference between that and saying dim this is all the you know, the, the the goddamn Democrats are out to get me and this is a conspiracy like, you're right there's, there's a also difference a difference between, yeah I, I'm sorry go ahead no, I just I, I I mean, I think your your point is valid, which is that politics enters into it for sure. But there's a difference between saying I disagree with your politics and this is a conspiracy to bring me down. And he lit, he said what goes around comes around. Yeah. Right. Like that's a, he is basically like I, all you Democrats have screwed me over and you just wait till I'm on the court, essentially, is what he's saying like that. You, that's that is you're right. Highly problematic. I that agree. Is different from saying. 
I disagree with the interpretation of privacy in Roe v. Wade, and that is a problem. I agree. And if I had heard that kind of statement from some of them, I would be more sympathetic to that cause. When they're telling people that people are going to die because he's going to become a member of the Supreme Court, that's problematic to me. I agree, but that's what we expect out of the Congress. That's bullshit. We can't do that. (laughs) They have to be held accountable for what they say, too. You can't have them up there being able to say whatever the fuck they want and not expect someone to react to it. Yes. They're not robots. No, but it's different with the Supreme Court justice, right? I mean, there's it's, for me, it's it's different. I get that this is this is politics. But then when if you're going to be on the Supreme Court, you at least have to create the impression that you are above this. And Kavanaugh did that during his first hearing, right? I mean, he played the role of the Supreme Court justice. He was calm. He was reflective. He talked about cases. And then for this one, he made it a strategic decision to say, I need to be political. I need to be aggressive and confrontational. And it, it's, it, it's such a unique choice. And I wonder whether, do you think he was planning that going into it? Or do you think he watched Blassie Ford and he said, I have to fight back? Uh, I mean, it, it was such a contrast. Nobody was expecting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Because you don't expect your justices to play that political game. And I'm not I'm not disagreeing with all of what you said, Phil. I, I mean, Nick, I think that uh, it's it's... It has been a circus. It should be a plague on both of their houses for how, you know, Democrats and Republicans for how they behaved. But what's unique about this is that the Supreme Court nominee lowered himself to the game that everybody else is playing. Yeah, I I, again, I don't disagree with that sentiment in any way, shape or form. But if you're going to make this something of a political appointment where these people who don't have to rise to that level get to say whatever they want they need to be held accountable for their actions you can't just say things again and not expect some sort of response or expect someone to be a fucking sphinx about it it's just it boggles my mind that it's become so it's the partisan divide has become so immense and so wide at this point that you can just say anything because it appeals to your base, regardless of what the consequences are. They need to be held accountable for what they say in public, especially in important situations like this. It's the whole thing. Like there was almost no substance to that hearing. It was salacious. It was entertaining as hell. But when you're going through a fucking yearbook asking why they put six Fs in front of a name and why, you know, what the meaning of boofed was, that's not, that is not what this process should look like. <laughs> let's talk about that. But Phil, you wanted to say something yeah. first. No, I go ahead. Well, so let's dive into that. What was in the actual yearbook itself. And I think what's interesting to me about that is I, I, I am sympathetic to that position, Nick. Because Better be. The idea that we're spending time looking at a calendar and a yearbook for a Supreme Court nominee strikes me as bizarre and silly. But I also think the fact that Kavanaugh lies about some of these things right. makes it more problematic, right? He could have come along and said, okay, I was, you know, I was 17, I was 18, you know. Uh, so you like beer. Right, I like right, beer. Right. You I like beer, right? I, I wrote beer these things. They were, they were insensitive. You know, the Renati thing. I shouldn't have said, you know, that was, I, I, I feel ashamed for this. But he comes along and has these sort of, he's not candid about it. And I, I, I don't know the, the He's diff- full of shit. Okay, fair, be, well, better said, right? And so, so there was part of me that thought the Democrats were being silly and petty for pushing this. And then he is not completely candid or truthful about it. And mm. that makes me wonder, like, what's going on here? I mean, are, you know, are, are little lies 
you know, and I can understand that at, at a, a personal level. Like he doesn't want to acknowledge that he was maybe not as sophisticated and thoughtful as an eighteen-year-old. But, but this is—I don't know. It feels like he could have been more truthful about this, and there aren't bigger questions about his his truthfulness. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, yes, the the things are in some ways stupid, but they're about this era of his life in which he claims that he was, you know, a choir boy. Essentially, he drank some, but never to the point of blacking out, and he never treated women badly. And and there's just a lot of evidence that that's not true. And and rather than taking the approach of, I was, you know, 18 and stupid, and I regret being that way. Like he instead lied about stuff that is pretty obvious right and so when when you're lying about this little stuff it brings into question how whether you're being honest about the big stuff and he's under oath and he's a judge and like you know like if if someone in his court were to tell little lies about stuff he would he would have an issue with it so i don't i don't i mean I, I tend to agree with that right and so that was that was more troubling you know again i, I i'm a believer that the party in power, the president and the Senate get to appoint their their type of justice. And I don't have a problem with Kavanaugh in that sense. Right. They have the choice to appoint a conservative justice. But that testimony, both the way that he approached it uh, and his his unwillingness to give an inch when it's clear that he needs to was that was that was I, troubling and problematic. I can't help but come back around to this notion that another judge without these sorts of, you know, the Federalist Society had a long list that they didn't care, right? Any of sure. these people will do. There are other people who don't have these sorts of issues. And even beyond that, I feel like I can't help but think if Kavanaugh had come out and basically said, look, I, you know, if he had said, I found her testimony moving, I still assert that this was not me. Um, I'm sympathetic to her. I was, you know, when I was young, I was stupid, but I don't think I was this stupid. I feel like he could have, like, he would have, he would have had the votes to pass. And we wouldn't, I, I, I can't help but feel like he did himself a favor in the political realm, like in terms of the Fox News sort of realm. I don't know if it's that, I think with the broader American public, I don't think he did himself a favor. But I, I, I also, I don't think that in terms of getting his nomination through that, I, I think it was just, really poorly done it does uh, to go back to something nick said it, it it's not possible or the republicans are not interested in pulling this nomination anymore because it's become more than that right, right. for the left this symbolizes the me too movement sexual assault in america how you know the gender inequality and all of that for the right this this is an entirely different narrative and they're equally committed they're equally pissed off about all of this uh this this nomination has found a way to pull us apart more so than maybe any other issue I can think about. And, I mean, the anger on the right is authentic, and I, I don't always agree with it, but I, I think it's genuine. And the anger on the left is is the same sort of thing. Like, this is, this is really, really dangerous for the country because I don't know if there's anything that can be done, either confirming him or not confirming him, that, that doesn't further rupture the political system. No. I, I think the only way out is him withdrawing. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know... I, With I, a if, good speech, if, yeah, or more yelling, yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> Screw so I think all, yeah. if he, if he <laughs> would, I mean, I, I when I say the only way out, it's obviously not the only way out. There are all sorts of ways through this. He might very well be confirmed, but I think in terms of like, I don't know. I think if he were, if it were his decision, if he said at least, I, I've decided it's not worth doing this. I, you know, this is too, you know, it's causing too much trouble. I have too much respect for these for the court itself. I'm going to step aside. 
and then mm. Republicans nominate someone else. Yeah. Republicans can claim that, hey, we lost a good nominee because Democrats were being difficult. Democrats can be satisfied with the, the fact that he's not the one going to be that's going to be on the court. I, I don't know. It seems like that. I don't think that's going to happen. He, if anything, his testimony revealed a tremendous sense of entitlement. He thinks he deserves to be on that Supreme Court and screw you for thinking otherwise. Mm. So I don't imagine that he's I can't imagine that he's going to withdraw unless he got essentially, you know, if he, I think as of right now, the Republicans still don't have the votes to get him through. So I think that could possibly in a face saving move, he might withdraw. But um, I mean, so the president ordered an additional FBI investigation uh, after the hearing was concluded. What do we think, if anything, will come out of that? Nothing. I think nothing as yep. well. So and, I, what purpose does that serve besides placating people who didn't know the difference between an investigation and a criminal inquiry when they were asking for the, it? The fascinating thing for me was that it was Democrats that were pushing for this FBI investigation. Mm -hmm. I think this is ultimately going to give Republicans cover. Yep. Because yep. it's uh, they were saying, it's, so it's, it's Wednesday when we're taping, there were some suggestions that it may be finished today or, or Thursday at the latest and mm -hmm. that they might be voting by the end of the week. Um, if you are a Republican senator, uh, one of these four or five that are going back and forth, now there has been an, an FBI investigation. And I, I think we could spend time looking at whether this is indeed a thorough investigation. But there's been an investigation done. It gives you cover. If you're Murkowski, if you're Collins, uh, Flake or whatever, you can say like, well, there's, you know, there's some ambiguity. We don't know all the facts. I'm going to vote with a conservative, which is what Flake had said. He said, you know, I, I, I'm a conservative. He's a conservative. I think the Democrats were smart to push for it. But ultimately, I think it's going to provide political cover for the Republicans. I think Flake's move was brilliant. Like the Republicans were upset yeah. about it, but I think it was it was, it was fantastic for them. I still think so. They were talking about voting later this week, but there was a Cornyn said today. Somebody asked him about whether there was going to be a vote, and he made some statement about we're in no hurry. We want to take as much time as necessary, huh. which most people interpreted, and I think rightfully, that they don't have the votes yet. Like they, if if they had the votes to do it, they would be voting on confirmation right now. Um, and so I I think they're still. And this is where Trump comes into it and his stupid his stupid Oof, rally last let's talk night about that. attacking yeah. attacking her and you know that I I think he's It was not more of a doing... mocking than attacking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh the, you know he he had held off at the beginning and he's he just I don't know he doesn't I don't know if it's because of the New York Times story that we'll get to later on yeah. on taxes I don't know what the reason is but he let loose in that rally last night um critiquing her and I don't know if you've seen the quotes, but, you know, Susan Collins and several other people have not. They were not pleased by that approach. I don't think he's doing himself any favors. I don't know that he really cares, but mm -mm. no. And it sounds like everybody in the administration has been trying to prevent him from going there to don't do this. Don't mock the victim. Don't attack her. He was very quiet. Up yes. Until the top blew off. <laughs> it was like it was yeah, exactly like it was bubbling up. Yeah. And then and the way he attacks, it's. <sighs> I don't think Trump is a particularly smart man, but he knows how to tell a story, and he does it in a way where he's mocking and he's also entertaining. So the crowd oh, is his going. Timing is beautiful, yes, and, and and the crowd is going wild. They're loving it. It made for really uncomfortable visuals, which I'm sure the Republicans and Republican senators in particular do not want to see. Right, but, the Democrats will be putting that in ads. Absolutely, Trump mocking her with all with like a. A parade of white men behind him laughing along with the... Exactly. Yeah, 
and that was the last thing they needed to do. But it's not surprising, right? I mean, Trump has, while he has said the right things up until that point, to saying that you know we should she should have her story heard, and even suggested that he found her story compelling. At the end of the day, he's somebody who's gonna. His, his M.O. is to attack the victim and defend the man. And that was something he came out yesterday and was saying that, uh, you know, young men and young boys, men should be afraid. You know, this is a dangerous time for you. And then somebody asked him, what, you know, what about women? Oh, women are women are doing great, you know, which, which in some ways captures this divide, right? And, you know, women are not doing great. <laughs> this story suggests, this whole episode just suggests that there's a lot of problems that we haven't dealt with as a society. But he's able to flip that narrative and say that men now to be, need to be afraid and there's an audience for that as well um it is it's perfectly captures the deep deep divide of the country there's an audience for that but you and i texted a little bit about this bill i i think it is i think the strategy that republicans are taking might be effective and successful in the short term but i i think in the long term the optics of the way this whole thing has played out are gonna come back to haunt them the republicans yeah nick I don't know if that's necessarily true. <laughs> I, 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 there have been some kind of cursory uh, studies or analysis after the hearings, and it seems like people who were supportive of Republicans and Kavanaugh in general uh, have dug in their heels, and the opposition has dug in their heels at this point. I'm not sure there's been a lot of movement. Um, I, it's really hard to tell how big the middle is at this point right. because it's it, it, you'd never ever ever hear about it, and I, it'll probably be telling more in the midterms. But uh, if if people think that there's going to, again to be some sort of uprising or blue wave that you know just completely sweeps through the country and we have a fundamental shift in thinking, you are not going to see that. So you better brace yourselves for that now. In my opinion, well, even let's. I, Go ahead, Phil. I, I might disagree with you. No, you no. False. <laughs> I, I'm increasingly convinced that. So Suzanne talked last week about a five percent chance of the Democrats taking the Senate. I think it's far higher than that. There have been lots of polls that have shown in places like Tennessee and Florida, which was seen to be, to be a lockup for the Republican. Like the Democrats are polling with Tennessee, right? Texas, like these places where the Dem- I I still think you may not. We're not seeing necessarily huge shifts in polling in terms of like how Republicans feel about it. But in, in the aftermath of this, the um, there have been polls that have shown that Democrats are far more motivated in terms of voting when it comes to it. Like for the, in most elections, Republicans care more about the Supreme court than Democrats mm-hmm. in recent polls. Democrats care more about the Supreme court than Republicans. And I think that's where you're going to have, I mean, I, I look at, there was a poll that came out today that I, I saw people talking about 70% of Republican women still support, Kavanaugh and people were talking about how is this possible party affiliation is why it's possible and and for lots of other reasons but to me that is startling in the other direction which is that you have a conservative justice that the entire Republican Party is behind and 30% of Republican women are opposed to Mm -hmm. him like that that should be concerning to Republicans in in my mind I think that's a big big overlap to say okay not only is is party or gender and actually Suzanne and I were talking about this today which is the more powerful drug usually party wins out and I think this in terms of the midterms will be a good test to see to what yep. degree do women uh, jump over that line and, and it's hard to know I, I do think Nick it could be both things could be true we might see a massive blue wave at midterms but ultimately the Republicans will have gotten their fifth seat on the Supreme Court 
right. which is what they want, right? And so right. as as cases come to the Supreme Court, that's the victory they want. Play the and, long game. Yeah, and no matter how big the victory in the midterms for Democrats are, you know, Republicans still have that fifth seat, and that's a mm-hmm. big deal. This is where I still think it comes back to being in some ways short-sighted, because if the Democrats win the Senate, it may be a long shot, but if they do— they're going to all of these people that that the Republicans don't want to call Mark Judge and other people the, the Democrats are going to call them. Oh, yeah. right? There are going to be hearings about this. I, I would I don't know. Maybe Democrats will just move on. But I, I they think they will not. They, this will come. <laughs> this is going to be a sort of thing when the Democrats are back in power they're I think they're going to and I think they're going to be more stories that come out. And I don't know. I, it's again where if I am if I am a conservative, I think I want a guy on the court who's super conservative but also like unimpeachable not in the i mean in the political sense but just in like mm-hmm. a larger sense yeah. right that you can say you can have a problem with his views but he is you know there's there's no concerns about him other than that he's a good and i it just seems short-sighted for the republicans to still tie their 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 fates to this to to Kavanaugh I think so we should talk about beer before we do that though so what are your so before we tape next week how do you think Kavanaugh is confirmed or not confirmed Phil you think he's going to be confirmed before we tape next week I, go on the record man <laughs> I know I'm gonna go so all the all signs indicate yes he'll be confirmed but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this time next week it's still no mm. I think that I think that uh, Collins and Murkowski I think Flake even has I, I think Flake is still he's showing lots of signs that he's still deeply concerned about Kavanaugh I, I think Flake might end up falling in line despite all of these, but I, I don't I think Collins, Murkowski, some of the others might not. Okay, so you're saying I no. Think, I I think if he gets confirmed before then, it's gonna involve a tiebreaker. Ooh. And I Ooh. think that's bad for that's the That's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. Nick, where are you at? I think he's going to be confirmed, and Jeff Flake is uh, going to disappear in some sort of <laughs> strange accident, personally. Um I, I don't know, man. I I think it's going to go through personally, and I I would mm, by this time next week. I think it's I think it's going to happen before this time next week. I really I really do. I think there's there's enough motivation, even on the quote unquote undecided members of of the Republican Party. They've said that they're going to vote for him, or at least some of them, as long as there's no additional evidence that points to him being guilty of these crimes. I don't see a political reason necessarily for them to wait any longer than that. They've given it, it, you know, to some extent, the Democrats what they want. There's another investigation. They've limited it in its scope, whatever you think about that. But the components are there. They've done what they at least appear to need to do, and that's it. I, I, I mean, they've given a deadline. Maybe it goes a day or two longer than than they had originally said. I would bet by this week or by this time next week, it's done. I, I, I think so too. I think the Democrat, or I'm sorry, the Republicans want to get this off the table. Yeah. I think it happens before we tape, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens before the weekend. Yeah. I, I think there, if that FBI report comes back and it's clean, Mitch McConnell wants to get this moved as quickly as possible, get this off the public discourse. I think they're going to do everything they can. 
I think you're exactly right. He wants to get it done and they would do it if they could. But yeah. the fact that they can't is why we're still doing this. Sure. So they're still if they had the votes, they would be they doing would it. And and you wouldn't have, you know, Cornyn and other senators talking about, well, take as long as is necessary. <laughs> they they're still lacking the votes. And whether or not the FBI thing is enough to get Collins and Flake and all these others on board remains to be seen sure. i i'm i'm more skeptical than than you guys are does that give I, them an uh, i'm sorry go ahead no I, I i still think odds are if i'm a betting man it's he's gonna end up going through but i think the odds that he doesn't or that there's you know the more this drags on the more likelihood there is a chance for things like donald trump to go to a rally and do stupid stuff that mm -hmm. makes you know susan collins and others and it, it the more time this takes the more people have the chance to you know pressure various senators and yeah i'm i'm i think you're overestimating the ability of the republicans just to shove this through mm -hmm. if they could shove it through they would have shoved it through last sure. week does that is that a better political strategy for them at this point they hold this to the point where those senators and uh members of congress have said that they're they're not going to vote for kavanaugh the nomination fails you have those senators to blame which in turn could potentially get them out in future elections. And then you get a new Supreme Court, potential Supreme Court nominee in there who, like you said, could potentially be unimpeachable. Is that a better strategy? I think it's a better strategy. I don't think they can do it because I think they're sunk on Kavanaugh. People want, Republicans, conservatives want Kavanaugh. And I think if you move away from that, uh, there's a cost to pay. But if they move towards the nom uh, the nomination and there's only a handful of people to blame, sure. isn't that better than having this hang over their head? But some of the people would have to be conservatives to blame, right? So if Murkowski right. and Collins... But they're weak. <laughs> I mean, that's the narrative, right? Right. Uh, I, I think it, it's... Uh, my guess is it's a more difficult narrative for them to swallow than to just either ram it through or start over. And as Phil said, there's still the possibility of losing the Senate. Mm. Um, all right. So before we before we I know we're way over yeah. time, but before we do beer, I, I want to like do a shout out to Jeff Flake. <laughs> I our, first, him. our first our first shout out. I, I know it's not a shout out. I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm I'm deeply cynical about Jeff Flake. I've complained about him on here before about talking a lot, but not actually ever doing anything. And even when he did his thing on whenever that was Thursday or Friday, I even texted you, Bill, about like, whatever, like yeah. he's still going to vote for it. And like, this is bullshit. But, I, you know, as I thought more about it, I thought, you know, his job is not to do whatever I think is right. His job is to stand up for what he thinks is right and to follow his conscience. And he did that. Like, I, that's what we need more of. Right. Yeah. We need people who are willing to say, hey, this seems like a problem for me. You know, this is a problem to me. I, I'm going to do something about it. And so I, I, I feel like I should say. You know, I, I would have loved for him to have voted no in committee, but like I I'm I'm I was actually impressed by Jeff Flake. For I, I agree once. with that. It's very nice to I do think he's, right he's before you run leave. for president. I think he will, too. I think part of the reason his I think that might have motivated some of his thinking, too. So he's going to run for president and he's going to lose badly. <laughs> yeah. Lindsey Graham is going to kick his ass. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> what are you drinking? Uh, my first beer was um, Harpoon Brewery. Uh, I feel like we've talked about Harpoon, right? Yeah, this yeah, is a, yeah. You have Harpoon in Chicago? Yeah, we had it, yeah. yeah. So they have a Flannel Friday, which is like their fall Ooh. beer, an amber ale, hoppy, multi-crisp. Um, 
I like this. Um, I don't have good beer adjectives to describe it. Um, I just know that it was a long day and I was ready for a beer and I drank it fast. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. And then I moved on to a Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, their Oktoberfest beer. And I'm enjoying it as well. Good. Delicious. Nick, what are we enjoying? Well, we're not enjoying the one that I was supposed to bring because I forgot it. It had a guy on it riding a goat and it was, was going to be delicious. You didn't what? bring the goat beer? No, I forgot it. We were taping this late. Sorry, you screwed up my, my whole system. My fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had we had a Sam Adams uh, Oktoberfest, which thankfully Bill Bill brought that as a backup. Um, yeah, it's it's Oktoberfest. It's a it good standard. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, we've tried, I think, three or four Oktoberfests over the last few episodes. This maybe is at the bottom of that list. It's okay, but it's not great. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it was one of the big guys. It's uh, hearty and smooth yes yeah that's how they describe it yeah just like you Bill. that's right next week i'll bring the goat beer and it's brewed with mesquite beans oh. i believe so that should be something to... that's not a real thing yeah, that's apparently because there were like five of them in a row that wait is that are those thing. beans that are like mesquite smoked or are there beans that grow on a mesquite tree i don't really know i didn't uh. really look into the science or you know <laughs> tune in next yeah. week for all the details mm-hmm. <laughs> not all a right. botanist phil speed round <laughs> All right, so um, we're gonna we're gonna lighten it up. It was kind of a you know it was a, the first topic was a dark, so we need some good news. <laughs> I've always believed that love was more powerful than hate, and on Saturday, President Donald Trump revealed to the world that he and Kim Jong Un had fallen in love with each other. Nick, go to the tape and let our listeners hear Trump declare his love for Kim Jong Un. I was really being tough, and so was he, and we would go back and forth, and then we fell in love. Okay. No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters. And they're great letters. We fell in love. But you know what? Now they'll make, they'll say, Donald Trump said they fell in love. How horrible. How horrible is that? So unpresidential. (laughs) All right. Now this, this certainly takes the idea of detente with North Korea to a new level. Phil, should we blame Trump for falling in love with North Korea's brutally repressive dictator? I mean, there were beautiful letters. Uh, does this help, hurt, or just confuse the negotiating process? Go. <laughs> what do we do with this? this? So this is this is weird. Oh yes. <laughs> how, how, you know, he says in that quote, people are going to say, "How horrible! So unpresidential! How horrible!" And this is so unpresidential. Yes. I'm going to make. I'm going to confirm his 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 doubts. This is weird, right? So if we talk about how <laughs> things are weird, you know, things don't go as expected with Donald Trump. This is an example. I, I, I mean, I, I don't even know where to start, right? Kim Jong-un is a guy who kills people by, like, mortar attack and violates human rights and has threatened to blow up the West Coast of the United States. And it is... Yeah. I, it's weird, no matter who it was, if a president got up and said, I wrote letters with this foreign president or this foreign leader and we fell in love. Unless they're actually getting married, I don't. It, that is a weird thing to say. Is gay okay. marriage legal in North Korea? I don't, I don't think know. so. Yeah. No. I, but if, if, if Kim says so. That's yeah, true. That's, he could yeah. quickly change the sure legislation. There's a camp full of people who would yeah, yeah. attend that point. So, Nick, what are you thinking about the, the Kim Trump love? Again, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, this is just, I, it's just bizarre. Like, it's, this is, there aren't many times on this podcast where we talk about something where there's just, there's not, there's just nothing the same. It's just bizarre. It is, it is it's weird. It's bizarre. I, I mean, I'm still of the mindset that 
talking to them is a, a, a better strategy than previous strategies. This might take talking to them to a level that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with. <laughs> um, I, I, I still have to say, like I you know, you listen to the news. I, I think it was listening to something. It was today or something on the way to work. Um, uh, a North Korean um, historian, uh, American, who was you know writing about the Korean War, and they were asking him about his um, kind of conception about things that are going on now. And he says, yeah, it's it's strange. Uh, sometimes it's concerning. But it's also exciting because mm-hmm. it's something we have not seen previously. Uh, and that holds a lot of promise for a war that is technically not over and could potentially change in some fundamental way. Again, in, in some fashion that previous administrations have been unable to do. Sure. I, I think this is an unorthodox way of going about it. <laughs> On top of the fact that Kim Jong-un slaughters his people in droves and puts them in camps and prevents them from leaving but that's neither here nor there um it's uh i think it's here well it's somewhere i'm sure it's somewhere in a camp um i'm still of the mindset that this is better than previous strategies and an unwillingness to kind of move the ball in a different direction i don't think they're actually in love no, I, that's that's a fair point. Before I get into, I, I hope they're not actually in love. Let me substance. clarify. I will say there's a there's a fake Twitter account out there that pretends. But if they to are, be, it's beautiful. I'm sorry. It would be Go yeah. On. There's a fake Twitter account that pretends to be the uh, North Korean uh, like uh, information you know network, mm-hmm. and they tweeted something out after this where they said North Korea prefers that they just stay friends. <laughs> that was correct. Right? So, no, I, Nick, I am all for engagement. I'm a big believer that we should get countries heads of states together let them talk oftentimes that interpersonal relationship can lead to good things but this is weird it's not productive it's going to confuse things i mean the united states still should stand for human rights you know democracy you know those things matter and when you go so far to say i love this guy it's hard to argue that those other things still matter, right? Because he's still a dictator. And you can talk to him. You can be diplomatic. You can say, let's try to find a way moving forward. But love is, it's its not, not right. It's You're not right. appropriate. But they're also sociopaths and egotistical assholes. Both who, Trump and both Kim of Jong-un. them. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, people of this kind of mindset, they don't they don't ascribe to a normal method of thinking. These kinds sure. of bizarre personal behavior I think appeals to them more than would straight kind of dry nerdy negotiations which again has been kind of you know it's 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 the diplomatic standard which sure. again most of the times it gets things done but in these situations there is some benefit to appealing to the imperfections and flaws in this type of personality and psychology that doesn't necessarily work with quote unquote normal people. I think you're overthinking this, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, did you did you want to chime it's in? It's also crazy that he said he yeah. they fell in love. <laughs> I mean, all of the stuff we talked about, you know, the engagement is good, but in order to engage, you have to also be taken seriously, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the sort of thing that means that you just don't take Trump seriously. I mean, and again, this is you know, this is the country that Otto Warmbier was what like a year ago, right? Um, oh, that's right. Know, not yeah. that long ago, they were they were threatening to nuke the you know U.S. territories. It it's just it beyond the whole. It's weird. It's 
it's shitty. It's awful, right? Like we shouldn't, we, you shouldn't be like lavishing praise on someone who does these sorts of things. And I don't like to, I don't like to play the whole, like imagine if sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. you know, again, any, any other president who would have done this would have, if, if Barack Obama had said, I am and what you were saying, Nick, about how we're still in, we're still at technically at war with them. If Barack Obama had said that he had written letters to and fallen in love with Kim Jong-un, he would have been like impeached the next (laughs) day. Right. And, and so the, it's it's an example to me of how far the bar has fallen, how we're willing to basically say eh, it's Trump when and, and it's not just Barack Obama. If George W. George Bush, w. Bush said this, if yes. any other Clinton, if Bill Clinton anybody had said yeah. this, we would have it would have sure. been. And, and so we've just like we just expect insanity from Donald Trump to the point that when it's not just praising a murderous dictator, he's talking about how he is in love with him. Yeah. <laughs> like that is it's really I mean, it's just it's. It's we should we should be pissed off about it. And and this is like a thing in the news that happened and we just moved on. Well, right? because this, new, this week is so insane. That's the important point. I mentioned it to my two classes today and most of the students hadn't heard of it. They're like, you're making that up. Mike. I'm like, no, he did this. He did this. And I think much of the country and again, Kavanaugh is consuming all of the airspace. But this is otherwise uh, it is a massive story for its stupidity. I am. Um... It's stupid, Nick. I, I'm I, all right. I'm not saying it's not stupid, but realistically, I, I, hmm. you're right. Had any <laughs> other president done that, it yeah, it would have been a, a major story. At the same time, we talk to shitty people all the time in many administrations: Pakistan, Syria, Iraq, sure. Iran, Somalia, South Africa, to some extent, most of Northern Africa. Like it's just. But we don't tell them we but love we them. But we don't tell right, them exactly. we love them. But we but we do su- support them in yes. clandestine ways that nobody talks about. Which realistically, I have more of a problem with than just some crazy bullshit that this guy is saying. Realism doesn't have room for love. Mm, I don't like it. <laughs> All right, we got to move on. Fine. That was good though. All right, so the United States, Canada, and Mexico came to a uh, last minute agreement on a revised trade deal to replace NAFTA. It's called USMCA. It's pronounced... Uh, 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 uh. It's pronounced NAFTA. <laughs> <laughs> President Trump and his Mexican and Canadian counterparts are expected to sign the deal by the end of November. It will then be up to Congress to approve the deal. In a win for the United States, the USMCA will open up some of Canada's dairy markets to U.S. farmers. Yay, dairy farmers. Go, girl. Under the original NAFTA... Uh, Canada limits at how much milk and cheese and other dairy products could come in from the United States. So Wisconsinites will be happy. In return, the United States will now allow can, uh, Canadian dairy, peanuts, and peanut products and a limited amount of sugar to cross the U.S. border. While we're still learning the final details, this sounds like a new and improved NAFTA. Some have even compared it favorably to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. The one thing Trump, Trump insisted on was changing the name. Apparently that was a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Need a new name. Phil, maybe Trump really is a free trader as long as you give the agreement agreement a good name. Credit where credit is due. This is a win for the nom- administration, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna take two two sides of yeah. it. Uh, that yes, I mean, th- this is credit where credit is due. That he nego- the Trump administration negotiated a better deal. If if you're interested in just you know if you want to see like what's best for the U.S., a, a better deal was negotiated. The flip side of that is that it is a really minorly better deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is, 
like what like 0.34 percent increase in or it's like a you know a bump up from the access to the canadian dairy market went from i don't remember what the numbers 3.5 to 3.84 or something so it's it's an increase but it's not a huge increase and it's and it's an increase that we would have gotten essentially more or less if we had agreed to the tpp the trans-pacific partnership from the beginning so but that all name of this, sucks like I know. So all of this opposition to the TPP and all of this other I, I mean, it's an example of where, sure, we, we negotiated a, a better deal. It's not like a dramatically different deal. Uh, certainly, it shouldn't be called, given a new name. Um, and it's one of those where, like, I, it's, you know, I, I feel like the opposition because the TPP or whatever was associated with Obama and with, with Hillary, that that is, you know, we can't agree to that. But in the end, we spent a tremendous amount of, of time and resources to renegotiate this to get essentially what we had from the beginning. And when I say resources that we spent on this, we spent time and money, but I think even beyond that, we spent resources in terms of like, you know, soft power and capital in that we pissed Canada off, right? Like the Canadians are not going to like look back on this and fondly remember it and think of it as like, hey, something that we negotiated together. And so we spent a lot of, you know, sort of capital on getting very minor concessions. So all that to say, yes, I don't want to, I don't want to like take away the fact that this is a, a better deal for the United States, but the cost to get those minor concessions seemed pretty high for what we got out of it. Mm. So it's a better deal. We can quote you on that. <laughs> it's a better deal. In, in very minor ways. It's a better yep. deal. Awesome. <laughs> very Great. Minor we'll ways. quote you. Um, the other part that people aren't talking about is uh, in relation to controlled economies and non-democratic economies, which doesn't seem to have really tripped anybody's radar, um, you know, because dairy and uh, sugar seem to be more important. Don't forget the peanuts. And the peanuts. Fucking peanuts. Canadian peanuts. Um, so there's a, a stipulation in the agreement that if one of the three countries enters into some sort of trade agreement with a, I, I can't remember the, speci the specific term, but I, I'll call it a controlled economy, which realistically is pointing to China specifically, right. uh, if the other two parties uh, that are part of this agreement, meaning US, Canada, or Mexico, uh, don't agree to the terms of it, uh, they can, I believe vote to remove the third party who was going to enter this agreement with the controlled economy and go along with a bilateral USMCA uh, going forward, hmm. which is a big thing when you're talking about trying to combat China or other economies that work in that same fashion. I, I personally think that's, that's a big change that nobody's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the steel tariffs uh, that the administration put in place are still in place. That's getting renegotiated at a different time. So they didn't cave on that, uh, and it doesn't have to be part of this agreement. Also kind of a win for them. Uh, on top of, uh, their, I think it was for automobile specifically, any automobile, 40% of it has to be built by laborers who are getting paid at least $16 an hour. Um, Again, if you're talking about the economy, especially of Mexico, where a lot of the automotive manufacturing has gone, I think that's an improvement as well. Um, yeah, the other stupid concessions, dairy, sugar, peanuts, that kind of stuff, we probably could have gotten those had we just done standard negotiations. But especially if you're talking about trying to 
combat the influence of China or, again, other economies that operate in that kind of fashion, I think that's kind of a major improvement. Yeah, I think you guys have hit on a lot of the key points here. For me, this was relief, right? There was all sorts of talk from the Trump administration about uh, eliminating NAFTA, getting rid of this agreement, and that would have been devastating. So the fact that we're getting a marginal improvement is a good thing. Trump deserves some credit for that. I think Phil's point of is it worth beating up Canada the way we did, and and if we forget we also beat up Mexico in the process to yeah. get that, to get these marginal increases. I, I don't think that's going to play well long term because ultimately they're you know international politics is a long game, and there's going to be some consequences to that. But we avoided a disaster. Great job, Trump. So that was awesome. Good. Yeah. All positive. Yeah. Good job, guys. <laughs> All right. Let's go. Next topic. President Trump has always sold himself as a self-made billionaire, a guy who pulled himself out by his bootstraps of a $1 million loan from his father and became a billionaire. Yet a blockbuster New York Times investigation dropped yesterday suggesting that Trump has received at least $413 million in today's dollars from his father's real estate empire much of it through dubious tax practices in the 1990s. By age three, Mr. Trump was earning $200,000 a year in today's day to, in today's dollars, and he was a millionaire by eight. Phil, you were a millionaire by eight, right? Seven. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> After graduating from college, Trump was receiving the equivalent of $1 million a year from his father. The money increased with the years to more than $5 million annually in his 40s and 50s. Trump vehemently denied the allegations and said everything he's done was totally within the law. This could potentially be a double hit to Trump. It undermines the self-made man narrative, and the IRS doesn't like when you don't pay your taxes. Phil, you never pay your taxes. Will Trump <laughs> pay a price for this, or is this story going to blow over like all the other stories? Um, I I don't think this blows over. I think this is a big deal. Now, the the part that comes into it is that Trump is technically in charge of the IRS right yes. now, and so um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I I don't put anything past him in terms of of using his power to protect himself. I mean, this is huge, right? The New York Times backed this up with hundreds of thousands of documents. They talked to all sorts of people. I mean, the argument that that they they outlined the article is really fascinating. If you you know you should read it. Um, the Daily today, their podcast goes in depth in talking to the reporters about how all this played out. It's really fascinating to see the ways in which essentially the Donald Trump and his siblings realized that as his father was getting older, that they were going to face. At the time, like a 55% inheritance tax on the on you know hundreds of millions of dollars, and so they set up. I mean, they had been doing earlier, but at that point, essentially, really kicked into gear, all sorts of weird real estate transactions that that clearly bypassed the laws about how this could happen. Dubious, dubious. Uh, <laughs> right. For the, I mean, this is another one of those where, um, in another time, for the New York Times to accuse the sitting president of outright fraud is, I mean, this would be in any other administration massively huge. I mean, the, for them to go that far, they have to really have a lot of evidence to back it up. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what comes of it. it I guess the statute of limitations on the criminal aspect of it are passed, but he can be asked to, I mean, he can, the, there's no statute of limitations on the civil fines that come with it and so whereas he paid what like five million dollars in inheritance taxes that the actual amount that he might have owed was 
like two hundred and fifty million dollars yeah, yeah, or some something. Crazy so amount. he's got that. He's yeah. got that he, in his car, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting because I mean, it does it. Not that I mean, the whole self-made man thing was a bullshit from the beginning. But you know, one of the things they talked about was if he had just taken the money that he inherited it and invested it in an index fund. He would have made dramatically more money than he has in real estate. Like he would be worth ten million, ten billion dollars or something if he had done that. Mm-hmm. Nick, are you worried about this? Um, because of his position currently, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a little worried about it. Realistically, the fact that they use tax loopholes and you know tried to evade as many uh, methods of payment as possible does not shock me at all. This is you know, elitist wealth management at its finest. And if you think this doesn't go on every day, then you're lying to yourself. He just happens to be the most high profile figure that has done it in recent memory. Um, It's, yeah, I I mean, I think there's enough evidence to draw a significant amount of of attention to it. If any, uh, I, I'm I, I don't know I, I don't I don't know I don't know yeah. anymore. Everything is yeah. up for grabs. Up That's is true. down. Black is white. It's just... it, you're right that so, he's not alone. This is a window into a level of income where you can do things that you just can't do every right at other levels. And right? To some extent, the institutions are at fault. Yeah, the sophisticated nature but, of it, the story. When you read this New York Times story, this isn't just like a, you know a couple shell corporations. This was a complex, elaborate system that played out for years and years and years where Fred Trump was doing this from a very young age. I mean, this was a calculated attempt mm, to right. avoid paying taxes. And, and it's important to note that it's it, it it's not just tax loopholes. It's not just that yes, they've sure. found ways to protect their money. They are they are breaking the laws and mm. how they do it and are in hiding stuff. But mm-hmm. you have to put breaking the laws in air quotes. That's like true. Breaking the laws. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I have said, I have argued on this podcast that if you want to understand Trump, you have to understand him as a man who for the his entire life has not faced consequences. So he's gotten away with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that to understand like why this is so difficult for him, the you know, the FBI investigation, the independent counsel and all of that stuff, it's because the idea I don't I don't think that he was going out breaking the law, thinking screw it. It's just that the idea that there would be consequences for doing this is not He's never faced consequences. I, I, I think he's it's it, I mean, it is it is a snapshot into the I think what happens all the time at the elite level. But um, yeah, it's not it's not just that they it's beyond passing laws that allow wealthy people to protect their income from taxes. This is going beyond that and breaking those laws. I think this mm. is, again, if the Democrat win the Democrat, if the Democrats win the House, even uh, you know, or the Senate, but I think the House, they they have the ability to to demand his tax returns. Yeah, right? I, I think this is going to this is this is not it going could to have go legs. Away. That's the major concern. In, in a normal political world, no, this would right, this would be like you said earlier, Phil. This would be a story, Democrat or Republican. This would be grounds for potential impeachment to find out that the president, at minimum, it would launch a massive investigation of his current business practices to see if this is ongoing. But in Trump world, this is, you know, like the sixth most important thing that's on the on the table. The other thing, I know we got to move on before we do that. I would say the other thing that struck me about this is the importance of good journalism. 
I don't know if there are any other papers in the United States that could have taken the time and money and effort to, to spend months and months researching this. This is old school journalism, and the Times did a fantastic job here, and they might be the only paper left. I mean, we live in Chicago, and God bless the Tribune, but they couldn't do something like this. I mean, no, I mean, it takes months and months to you yeah. know, write all these things that they found. Anyway. And, and Yeah, right. <laughs> so, all those documents they had to make. Well, it's they, crazy. Right. I, I just think that it's it's important that we have we still have somebody like the New York Times. And, and it I is extremely extensive. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, let's uh, jump to the next topic. Uh, Trump getting creative with immigration. On Monday, the Trump administration began denying visas to same-sex domestic partners of foreign diplomats and United Nations employees and requiring those already in the United States to get married by the end of the year or leave the country. Get married or you're out. Critics say the new policy will impose undue hardships on foreign couples from countries that criminalize same-sex marriage. Samantha Power, a former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, denounced the new policy on Twitter, saying, uh, saying it needlessly is needlessly cruel and bigoted, noting that only 12% of U.N. member states allow same-sex marriage. We also learned this week that White House uh, senior advisor Stephen Miller, a big fan of the podcast, has been encouraging <laughs> President Trump <laughs> to stop making visas available to Chinese nationals. Miller reportedly told the president that his plan to stop providing visas to Chinese citizens would hurt universities who fa- whose faculty and students have been critical of Trump. I mean, this is insane. Oy. Phil, what, what? What? I mean, which is which is worse? Tell me, I don't know. Just start talking. <laughs> so. uh, um, <laughs> so the the Chinese nationals one is is again a weird thing. The Republican Party for years argued that if you come from if we allow Chinese nationals to come get their education in the US it should come with essentially citizenship because we don't want to educate Chinese nationals and send them back to China we want them to come here yeah. educate them and stay here and so this whole idea of like we're not even going to allow them here is it, it it's it's evidence of the extent to which this kind of new form of nationalism has taken over the the Republican party the other part, like I don't know how to interpret the part, the the, the story on same sex, on domestic partners and and um, same sex couples, other than just being petty. Yeah, <laughs> no, vindictive and cruel. I think that's yeah. it. That's it. I mean, in the sense of like, if you want to think, so I, even if you are totally opposed, like if you think that homosexuality is an abomination before God, right? If you want to take that approach, if you, if you're thinking about U S diplomatic relations, it, it's just like, it, it, you know, if I think of it in terms of like cold realism, right, you want to be able to have, you, you want the diplomats to be here and to be comfortable and to stay here so that you can work on diplomatic relations. I, I just don't, I don't see what we gain other than a few points with like conservative Christians, but even then it's not like they were, they were in the Trump camp already. I don't, I just don't understand the point of it other than just to be a dick. Stephen Miller likes that, right? That's kind of a motivating factor for being a dick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's just bizarre. Mm -hmm. It's just really weird. I, I, I mean the, the narrative that they, that they're, they're spinning with this, with the, the same sex partners is that, well, <clears throat> heterosexual couples need to be married uh, uh, diplomatic couples need to be married uh, so there should be no reason why same-sex couples should not have to meet that same standard same uh, you know 
um, gay marriage is legal in the U.S. and so it shouldn't be a problem. And it's, I don't know if it's just that kind of one-dimensional thinking of of them, and they don't understand that these people come from places where they could be jailed or 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 killed uh, because of who they are, or if it is just this weird petty thing. The fact that it's even on their radar mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense to That's me. This should point. be yeah. at the very, very, very bottom of a very large pile of things to worry about. Um, yeah, like there doesn't seem to be any political capital in this whatsoever. You, The people who are going to be happy about this, you, you have them already. There's no reason to do this. I, I get the sense in the Trump administration there are a handful of Individuals who are kind of allowed to do whatever they want mm-hmm. in their narrow area. So Stephen Miller is the immigration guy, and so he can go and and think about like how can I stick it to immigrants and gay people, right? I mean, and so they just sort of let him run wild. And John Bolton is allowed to attack the ICC and pull us out of all sorts of international agreements. There's no coherent framework or even oversight to to rein these people in to say to to Miller like this is a stupid policy this is it's it, it's vindictive it's petty it it could seriously hurt uh these diplomats i mean if we're outing them it, it's just uh, it's so short-sighted and to Phil's point there's no real value added my guess is social conservatives in the united states aren't even going to be knowing about this no. it's such a minor issue uh so it it strikes me both of them as as a way to continue to build that border mm. to say there's us there's them and i don't know it just it's, well, it's disturbing i mean the pettiness of it is revealed by the fact that if you are from a country in which gay you know gay marriage is allowed then you can bring your partner to yes. with them so it's not even that we're right. it's not even that we're like taking a blanket stance on you know no gay couples are allowed to be diplomats or to be able to stay in the US it's it's just you know it's just this back to if your country won't allow it then you know tough shit if you're from a country that does allow it then welcome come yeah. come join us in the u.s it's mm. it's just yeah i don't i don't anyway uh quick statement on the china thing yeah um that seems to be more of china. a china what china <laughs> um that seems to be more very one-dimensional partisan political thinking uh than than the other part of the story uh, I think it seems obvious that they're sending a message to uh, the Chinese government and the Communist Party that um, they're really trying to play hardball. They're just not playing it well. Right. The fact that That's you would deprive the U.S. of potential citizens who are extremely productive uh, members of of you know, U.S. society and culture uh, once they're here and they're in universities and jobs. Um, that's a big issue. At the same time, you know, there have been incidents of Chinese spies or people working with Chinese operatives through universities and uh, through government positions. So I understand their thinking of that. But be more nuanced mm-hmm. in the way that you implement yeah, these things. Be more slick. Don't be yeah. dumb. <laughs> Well, and the, the argument, I mean, their argument that it's it targets universities, which are critical of Trump. And and people have pointed out that this is that this is a, a big stream of money for a lot of universities, that this is a blow to higher ed. 
Um, and the Trump administration, I don't remember who it was, basically responded by saying, well, then they need a better business model, um, which is which is like <laughs> if you wanted to take that approach consistently, that would be fine. But you can't imagine the Trump administration saying that about steel workers no. or coal workers or dairy farmers. Right. The idea that if we impose trade saying, you know, we've we've been we've made all of this money available to farmers who have been hit by these tariffs. Right. And so the idea of of the, the Trump going out to farmers or to steel workers and saying, um, if you can't, you know, if, if, if cutting off trade damages your industry, then you need a better model. It was just, it, you know, it's again, it's a consistency thing. That's, that's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's weird. It's bad. My milk doesn't cost $200,000. So sorry, <laughs> you guys need a better business plan. That's, that's good. That's what I have to say about that. All right. So <laughs> while we're, we're running long in time, but while Nick gets the, the final stuff together here, let me just Phil, you did a shout out to Jeff Lake. I'm going to do a shout out to Sweden. So You've this, been wanting to get Sweden in. For I've weeks. been trying, right? <laughs> so this month at the end of September, Sweden ended one of my favorite programs for the last seven years. Control of the official Sweden Twitter account has been handed to a different Swede each week and they could tweet whatever they wanted. They could be political. They could not be political. It was brilliant uh this was in addition to their other program where you could call a random number you could call this i'm sorry they call this number and you would be connected with a random swede uh and they had a commercial about it It was fantastic they will say you will soon be connected with a random swede and you were but your swedish accent yeah that was yeah and and they had this app where you could call the number and it just went to somebody living in sweden Good on Sweden for reaching out, for being engaging. I just thought this was brilliant. The Twitter account was fantastic because each week was a different perspective. I, I loved all of it. Shout out to Sweden. I know do we you, have a lot of listeners in Sweden too. I know we're at it. We're basically out of time. But do you do you think that if we had done that in the U.S., if we had a U.S. Twitter account where we gave it to a random American Oof. each week, and if you could call a number and be attached, like connected to a random American, would, would that benefit? <laughs> Or would that be a massive disaster? It would pull us together, Phil. Nick. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I never I no. <laughs> I don't want to hear from anybody now, like ever. Yeah. <laughs> I no. That's all I have to oh, say Sweden. on that. Yeah. Sweden's fantastic. Have you ever been to Sweden? It's a great mm-hmm. place. It's on my it? list. Yeah. It's on the bucket list. So it would be fun. I have not been there. They have good meatballs. I have been to Ikea. It's kind of the same thing. Let's go to Ikea. It's exactly the same thing. Um, If you... Shut up! Oh, God, that was loud. I forgot I turned the wrong thing up. Hi. (laughs) Professionalism. Try again, Nick. (laughs) Need that intern. Anyways, um, if you enjoy having your eardrums uh, burst, uh, or, you know, while you're listening to a podcast... Uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. We are Barstool Politics on there, so look for our reviews of the beers that we try. Podcasts you can find on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, most of you are coming through iTunes, so review us, uh, share us, um, like us. You can't like anything on iTunes. I always say that. I don't know why I say it. Um, but do something on iTunes and share it with someone as you do something. So we appreciate the support through there. Um, and like we mentioned at the beginning, 
And definitely check out Predict It, which is a real money uh, political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in uh, future political events. Uh, if you use our promo code, which is predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul2020, uh, you'll receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you deposit $20, they will give you uh, $20 in free money in your account, which is awesome. So definitely check that out. Lots of fun things to, uh, to put money on in these trying times. <laughs> uh, anything else, guys? That's good. Awesome. We will see you next week then. Cheers. Cheers. Woo. <laughs>